This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. Live from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is a special reunion radio edition of Behind the Markets. Here's your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Thanks for joining us. I am Jeremy Schwartz. I'm in the studio today with Lee Chen Ren, the director of Modern Alpha at Wisdom Tree. Our co-host, Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, is out traveling today and won't be joining us, uh, unfortunately, today. We're excited about this special edition of the show, and my guests today are both uh, Wharton alums. But before we get to them, let's get some business out of the way. Please note, I'm registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor to Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer of investment products, and the views of our guests are their own, and not those of Wisdom Tree or its affiliates. Our first guest is here in the studio today with us from Hong Kong, Chad Liu. He's the founder, chairman, and chief investment officer at Prudent Investment Management, which he started in 2008. Chad, welcome to our studio. Welcome back to Wharton. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your time here at Wharton. Oh, I, I also had Professor Jeremy Siegel as my finance professor. So it's you, really you have to pay a lot of points to get that class, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've now worked with him. I actually got here. You were Wharton MBA class of '99. I got here in '99, so uh, we sort of overlapped here, probably for maybe not that any time, but uh, similar times. Yeah, um, it's great to be here. Um, so what, 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 how, how would you say Wharton was impactful in, in your career? Like, What did you take from your, your experience here? Uh, Wharton definitely helped my career a lot. Uh, I came here, uh, got my MBA, then uh, joined uh, uh, Morgan Stanley on the high yield side for investment management. Uh, so it helped me get into the investment business. Uh, then after working for some other firms, uh, both here and in, and back uh, in Asia, uh, I was able to uh, start my own firm, uh, Prudence, uh, in 2008, uh, focused on uh, Asian credit. It's a interesting part of the world with everything going on in the markets. Um, well, what um, I mean, what? How do you tell us a little bit? About how do you look at Asian credit? Tell us a little bit more about your firm and and and. And your approach to looking at that market? Okay. It's a relatively young market. I moved back from US to Asia in 2006. Uh, that was probably early stage of the market. And after the 2008 financial crisis, the uh, market has been on a very fast growth uh, for the last 10 years. We've crossed one trillion US dollar mark uh, probably two years ago. Uh, so, in terms of size, uh, these days, uh, I think more and more institutional investors feel comfortable to view Asian credit as a standalone uh, asset class. Uh, certainly, that was not the case when I started in the business 10 years ago. Uh, and besides, the uh, when we say Asian credit, typically we refer to the dollar bond market uh, issued in the Asian credit market. But what we do is, uh, in addition to look at the dollar bond market, we also invest uh, in the local currency market. Uh, uh, and speci- uh, in particular for us, uh, we specialize in investing in the China onshore bond market. Uh, that market, <clears throat> until recently, was pretty much closed to global investors. Uh, with the introduction of the China onshore bond market to some of the big global indices, uh, 
<coughs> just to give people some sense of how big the market was, the whole China onshore bond market was twelve trillion U.S. dollars. Uh, the credit component was about two and a half to three trillion dollars. So <coughs> the onshore market, just from China alone, is actually much bigger than the Asian dollar bond credit market. Yeah. And so that is in the process of being added to the indexes right now. There's some、yeah. of the major players in the U.S. when they when they're talking about indexing to that, they're sort of contemplating adding more Chinese. That's one of the big transitions in equities. MSCI added a lot of. They're starting to increase the A shares, just sort of similarly opening up access.、Um, and sort of China's in the news right today.、Mm-hmm. You got all the the sort of trade deals. But let's talk a little bit more about the. The the countries so China is a big one. We'll come back to, but what other countries are in your universe of Asian credit?、Uh, Japan is a big one,、uh, but Japan we mainly,、uh, but Japanese local bank is big one,、uh, but Japanese companies、uh, they don't issue too much U.S. dollar bond debt because their local funding cost is much cheaper. It's, it's almost all local, and their yields are zero. Yeah, I mean, so it's not a lot of yield unless you're hedging. Potentially, you could get some carry if you hedge the yen. Yeah,、uh, and the other market we play pretty regularly is in the Sing dollar market, Singapore dollar market.、Uh, with that market, they do have uh, uh, a lot of the company issue in there, both from Singapore and from other parts of Asia,、uh, because Singapore is also a regional uh, uh, financial center. They have a lot of uh, uh, institutional and retail investment, especially retail. They are looking for yield, so many companies were able to tap the Sing dollar market. At a relatively reasonable funding rate, and so who, when when you're talking to investors and for your in your firm, like who are the types of investors that would allocate to Asian credit? Is it a emerging market investor? Are they located in Asia? Are they located in the U.S. around the world? Who who are your type typical clients?、Uh, we are not a big firm.、Uh, we start, we're based in Hong Kong,、uh, so I think most of our investors are from Asia, local regional investors. Uh, we do have some. We're starting to have some emails from Europe, and some from the U.S. But the majority are based in Asia, and, and mostly institutional type clients. Most institutional investors. And would you say they have dedicated sleeves for Asia, or they this is like a sleeve of their emerging market portfolios? How are they viewing Asian credit?、Uh, I think for U.S. and European investors,、uh, this will come out of their either their emerging market、uh, allocation or their fixed income allocation. Uh, but for Asian-based investors,、uh, well, Asia is、uh, Asia is Asia, so it probably will not come from emerging market allocation, but rather coming out of their fixed income allocation. Hey,、um, this is Li Chen. Actually, I want to follow up a, a question about the countries.、Um, in terms of in Asia, you know, out of the four dragons, you know, Taiwan has. Um, natural advantage, you know, with the connection, cultural connection to China, is there、uh, a potential, you know, more fixed income opening in in from from Taiwan?、Uh, like like、uh, is is the、uh, like a、uh, debt issuance of Taiwanese companies、um, a big part of Asian credit or?、Uh, not really.、Uh, Taiwan is a little bit similar to Japan. A <clears throat> Taiwan funding rate is very cheap,、mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, locally. Uh, B uh, Taiwan as a whole is a net saving country or region, i.e., local savings、uh, outpace their local borrowing demand. So rather than Taiwanese company issuing in the local bond market,、uh, in the Asian bond market, 
more other way around. Okay. Taiwanese investors have been a big part of the investor base for all strategies, not only uh, Asian credit. So uh, you mean like their corporate sector is a net net savers? Uh, the corporate sector, yeah, a they don't issue, they don't borrow too much. Okay. Uh, B the uh, Taiwanese institutions and retail have been big investors in all kind of strategies, uh, not only just Asia. I know they have been big investors in U.S. Uh, markets as well. Okay, um, and also to follow up, um, I don't know the fixed income market as well, but Western Tree have a lot of fixed income strategies, so I'm also learning a lot. Um, in terms of the active selection, is it more selecting, uh, you know, countries, or is it more selecting the bond, or selecting, you know, or or making kind of duration bets? Like in your active strategies, which part, like? Are there certain parts that you make your active part bets? Yeah. What what are the the active bets you usually take? Yeah, uh, this is a very good question. Uh, I think different managers, different firms, maybe have different preferences. Uh, we are not a big uh, player in terms of top down. Uh, you know, we have our views on markets, on uh, on macro, on on rates, on duration. But uh, typically, we don't bet too actively. On those uh, macro factors, but rather we're a bottom-up player. You know, uh, we have a twenty-person investment team. We look at uh, you know hundreds of companies from different industries, and then we are looking constantly looking for mispricing in the marketplace, and build our portfolio bottom-up. So we own well over hundred names in our portfolio, mm-hmm. uh, but we do use uh, macro hedges to smooth out uh, our volatilities. Okay, so in fixed income, um, like in equities, it's easier to think if you are overweighting a particular country or not. But in fixed income, because all these you know structural problems, like you know Taiwanese may not be issuing a lot of debt, so how do you view them in terms of like, your country country allocation? Do you do you like allocate a certain amount of money to a particular country, or like how do you control that risk? Okay. Uh- we're not very uh, focused on you know country by country. Uh, we do have a if for people following the Asian credit market, there are some uh, indices people use very actively. For example, the uh, Jackie Index is probably the JP Morgan Asian Credit Index is probably the most uh, widely quoted indices. Uh, you can look at it from country perspective. You can look at it from industry. You can look at it from uh, credit rating. You know and. Uh, we all use uh, Moody's, SP, and Fitch in in, in the region. Uh, or you can use look at it from each other type. Uh, you know, uh, servant, quasi servant, financials. You know, uh, corporates. Uh, and for us, uh, China is a big component. Of what do we do uh, for the index? If you look at it, uh, by country, China accounts for sixty percent of the Asian dollar bond market anyway. Yeah, I mean that's that's sort of one of the questions as. As MSCI thinks about adding China to the equities, they worry about, well, is, is the Emerging Markets Index going to become 40% China? And so it seems like you, if you're benchmarked to the J.P. Morgan Credit Index, you could have 60% in China, which may be reasonable and just n- neutral. Um, but let me uh, let just reintroduce your your firm. We're talking with Chad Liu, who's, working, who's CEO, founder of Prudence Investment Management, uh, Asian credit shop. We're talking about the, the, the China bond opportunities. When, when you think about 
for the and you're focusing on U.S. dollar bonds, so there's no real currency risk for like a U.S. dollar investor going to an Asian U.S. dollar bond. There's no real currency risk there. You got to the companies have to or the sovereigns will have to be able to pay these dollar liabilities. So there's a lot of people who worry strong dollar hurts a lot of these these dollar denominated bonds. But how would you frame the yield opportunity in Asian credit today compared to say U.S. for a similar call? You know, a, a U.S. aggregate bond index may have a five to six year duration. Or maybe a little bit longer, but like, how would you say the Asian credit tilt? You know, what are the the average yields they could get across Asia compared to say the U.S.? Generically, uh, Asian credit offers higher yield than comparable rated uh, U.S. Uh, counterparts. Uh, now, uh, risk premium. There's a risk premium. Yeah, of course, there's a, a meaningful uh, Asian uh, risk premium. Uh, but in certain areas of the market, we think things get a lot more interesting. Uh, a, the Asian credit typically is much shorter in duration, in maturity, than U.S. credit. A typical, for example, a typical high yield bond in the U.S. is ten year bond. Uh, in Asia, it's three to five year, so it's one third to half of the duration of the U.S. bond. And then, the in terms of yield or spread. Uh, IG investment grade, uh, relative to US, there is some pickup, but not very significant. Uh, but in terms of high yield, the pickup is very significant. Uh, the relative speaking, U, uh, Asian high yield is relatively early stage, and the investor type is very diverse. You have investors from the you know, major US investors, you know, European investors. You also have local. Uh, Asian-based investors, Japanese investors looking for yield, I assume. Uh, yes, uh, but we haven't seen too much Japanese uh, Japan-based managers directly investing. Right, they are more allocating to managers. Right, uh, and then there's a big, I think, <clears throat> Asian feature. It's a very heavy, uh, high net worth individuals investing in bond market directly. Yeah. Uh, private banking clients has been a major force in the bond market, especially in the high yield market. So, so the key characteristics of the Asian high yield: they're shorter duration, one third, call it three years versus ten years. What would you say is the yield spread over the U.S. high yield? What's the typical yield spread? <clears throat> it's a wide range. Okay, it's a wide range. Uh, I would say you can easily see a, a double B bond maybe trading at seven percent, eight percent. Uh, single B trading around ten percent, just as a ballpark. But there are also cases where uh, the companies we think is not in financial trouble, uh, but uh, quite often market constantly worry about refinancing risk. And in that case, uh, you could see cases where two companies in the same industry, very similar at almost identical profile. One company they just did financing. Let's say one year ago, they have no major maturities in the next three to four years, so their debt might be traded at ten percent. Uh, identical company, they did their financing four years ago, and their debt is coming up one year from now. They could be trading at eighty cents on a dollar, and the yield would be, you know, if you think about it, ten percent coupon plus twenty points to par. That's over thirty percent. Mm-hmm. So. But in terms of business, in terms of leverage ratio, cash flow, same business. Same business. The only difference has been maturity profile. So 
I think there is a big risk component in Asia in our market is the refinancing risk. And, and what type of companies are those? Are they the Chinese companies that people are worried about the refinancing on, or is there are they from a certain certain sector, certain country? Uh, not only from China. China certainly is a big part of the market. Sixty percent of the overall. Yeah, uh, but also the other some of the. Uh, Indonesian companies, uh, some credit as well, <clears throat> because I think unlike in the U.S. market, where a healthy business, uh, reasonable balance sheet, uh, generally speaking, market believe they can get a refinancing. Uh, the difference being whether you refinance at a good rate or a little bit bad rate. But in Asian market, I think we are not there yet. Mm. Uh, market has to constantly reprice their uh, refinancing. Probability. So, so when these companies issue U.S. dollar bonds, how much of them are collecting U.S. dollar revenue, and and how much true like narrative is there around the currency risk? And, and there's there's a lot of the oil companies who you know end up a Russian oil company or a Brazilian oil company issuing dollars, and you say, well, their their revenue is priced in dollars. In some ways, their currencies tend to fall when the dollar is going up, and so there's some of this natural hedge. But I'm curious, how do you have a view on? How much the dollar risk is for these companies? I think you are right. For a lot of the natural resource business, uh, their business either collects dollar revenue outright, or their pricing is linked to dollar pricing. So for them, there's a natural hedge. Then, <clears throat> traditionally, for uh, <clears throat> most of the borrowers in the past, most of the revenues is local currency based. But what we have been uh, witnessing, especially in the last uh, few years, is, uh, for example, borrowers from China. More and more Chinese companies over the last five or so years have been uh, adding uh, assets or revenue base outside China. So uh, they are starting to have some component of uh, dollar revenue. may not be 100% U.S. dollar. Yeah. Uh, but at least they have some revenue base outside their home currency. Um, and 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 how much of these these headlines that we see today? You know, the, I mean, the day we're talking today, there's a lot of worries about China, and so we thought we were going to get to a trade deal, but now there's a lot less optimism there. Sort of, it's it's declined quickly in a week. Um, how much does do, you, do the companies that issue dollar bonds that you're looking at tend to be more exposed to global trade? Does it change any? Are you going back to your investment committee and saying we have a lot to reevaluate, or you think it's sort of par for the course? We don't have a crystal ball into those high level. I expected more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, from our conversations with the borrowers, with uh, most of our actually listed companies, listing Hong Kong, some listing Asia, some listing the U.S. Uh, it feels like I think people generally feel, uh, hopefully, you know, at some point, uh, both sides can come to a, a compromise. Uh, and for from a business perspective, you cannot manage your business based on you know financial market volatility. Uh, a, I think the, at least currency wise, still relatively stable. Uh, uh, it's within a relative range in the last three to four years. Uh, and we haven't seen in you know, FX market pricing very high uh, risk premium uh, in terms of uh, Chinese RMB to weaken. And also, it's still very cheap to uh, hedge uh, Chinese RMB risk uh, back into the dollar. So if you <clears throat> worry about uh, currency risk, you want to hedge into the dollar, 
you can do it at a very reasonable rate. Like, um, what what is that reasonable rate today? I think within one percent. Okay. A year. Do, do you do you do hedge part of those currency risk in your portfolio? Uh, for our portfolios, our uh, strategies that is uh, benchmarking U.S. dollars. Whenever we invest outside U.S. dollar uh, securities, we hedge back. Okay, so what's like generally to the you know particular benchmark? What's the tracking area? Do you usually run the active portfolio? Uh, you know, for hedge funds, we don't have a. a Benchmark is more absolute return, but okay. I think most people would refer to is the Jackie Jackie Index. Uh-huh. Mm. And like how 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 much deviation do you usually uh, get away from the Jackie Index? Uh, we like as much higher as possible. As possible. <laughs> <laughs> so you believe in high tracking error delivers high higher? You know, uh, we're not a mutual fund or index fund. Okay. Uh, let, me, let me just reintroduce our guest. We're talking with Chad Liu, founder and chairman of Prudence Investment Management. Uh, and you know it's, it's it is interesting when you think about the opportunity in this space. And most people would say, and a lot of the indexes are the more debt you issue, the more weight you get in the index. And as you're an active credit manager, I sure you would say, I don't care if they issue more debt. Actually, would rather them issue less debt in a way. If I'm having two bonds with the same yield, I'd rather the less levered firm not yeah. give more weight. So. In, in a way, indexing has been viewed as nonsensical in a way for traditional bond index, and that's where active management adds more value. But you think there could be factors that could be applied to fixed income? Is that something you, you see at all being talked about in Asia, factors for fixed income? It's probably not a very uh, very common topic yet. Uh, you think about it. I moved from U.S. to Hong Kong in 2006. Back in 2006, when we have a new... <laughs> Investment grade or high yield bond, uh, new issue ratio. If you pick a fancy hotel in Hong Kong, there will be about four tables. That's the main launch ratio. And table one, two on the top, closer to the, would be two table of investors. So less than 20 investors. And table three, table four would be uh, professionals, you know, bankers. So that tells you how big was the market back then. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the, what's the market like today? I think now if you really uh, do it, uh, a typical ratio, you can easily see 10 or 15 tables and it's all investors. So, so there's a much bigger interest. Uh, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of high net worth clients <clears throat> in Asia are interested to you know invest in directly. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, they won't get a seat on a, a ratio. Uh, okay. Maybe the bank will send it, you know, JP Morgan will send a dedicate there, but you cannot have, you know, all your investors there. But at least I think the investor base has uh, been growing uh, okay. significantly over the last 10 years. But in terms of, uh, I think, market efficiency, we're still behind the U.S. market. Okay. Uh, it's A, it's still a relatively young market. B, uh the U.S. market is predominantly, it's almost all institutional market uh, versus in Asia. I think the dynamics is very different. We have, we have different institutions. You have uh, retail. Uh, uh, retail, I mean, mostly high net worth. But if you look at, for example, China onshore bond market, you do have retail, retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, China is probably one of the very few places in the world that bought corporate bond actually trade at a very retail size, in in Shenzhen Stock Exchange, the minimum lot size to trade corporate bond in terms of denomination 
is 100 RMB. Wow. So 13 US dollars. <laughs> so for $13, you can pound on a corporate bond, even at a par. So for those three and fifty cents, it costs you seven dollars. It's the price of a Finnish cheesesteak, mm-hmm. maybe not even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that's like some of the characteristics in in Asia. Like a lot of retail investors, you know, trade bonds or derivatives as if it's a stock. You know. Yes. Which yeah. is yeah very. Um, I do want to ask. So we talk about the factors, right? I think. Um, the general question is: You probably have deployed some kind of fact ideas in your stock selection, like you know, thinking about um, whether when you when you're comparing companies, it, you know, whether you considered it cheap, you know, versus the other. It's just not yet systematic in, in your in your stock, like a bond selection. Like, what are the characteristics you factor in in your like a bond selection? Okay. Uh, in terms of our Fundamental uh, and and a tactical research or decision. It's I think it's uh, this is pretty universal uh, principles. Whether you look at Asian or U.S., uh, for example, we spend a lot of research understanding the industry, understanding the company, the borrower, and the financial, the, the business risk, financial risk, and the management, uh, controlling shareholder. I think one factor. <laughs> Probably it's it's beyond what you would do for the typical whole nine yards in the U.S. credit. It's uh, you know when you look at U.S. credit, uh, most of the time from a credit research perspective, it's focused on the ability to pay. Now credit is about credit rate is about willingness to pay and ability to pay. But in the U.S., ninety nine point nine percent of the research is spent on ability to pay. And how do you judge willingness? This is art. Very subjective. I think this is art and science yeah. in Asia. So I think this is where, when we go to emerging market like Asia, we have developed over the last you know eleven years a lot of expertise in assess and the price willingness to pay, and I think a lot of times market does assign a high risk premium. If you uh, if you look at risk premium, a lot of time it cannot purely be explained by the financial risk. Uh, sometimes you company, you know, one time that EBITDA, uh, then why is trading at you know twenty percent yield? Right. So, the, so the, for the listeners, one times debt to EBITDA, they've got earnings that cover all their debt, and they can make it back next year. And uh, yeah, we we've got situations. A company has been committed to sell assets. It's in the process of closing, and it's regulated assets. And once they sell the assets, it becomes debt free. And then still trading at twenty times the yield, and then you ask about well, this is public information that's been publicly disclosed, and people are, why are doing this? Because then people are scratching, how do I know they will pay off my debt if they get the cash? What are they going to do with it? They're what I do with the cash? I'm going to take the cash and run. That's- yeah. So, but that's interesting. But why? Like, why in Asia is there like some historical reasons that you know the companies do not like uh, their willingness to pay is much more fungible. I think there are certain cases in the past uh, that have uh, have left the market with some concerns mm-hmm. on this. Uh, I can give a comparable uh, example. You mentioned uh, about uh, currency risk. Uh, I think most of the uh, investors these days don't really worry too much about currency weakening significantly to a point that will make the issuers enable to repay their dollar bond. Not yet. 
Uh, and there, there's some point in the past. There's worry, but not at this time. Right when you were here, it weren't the '98 yeah, yeah, financial that, crisis. Yeah, that that was the time people worry about. But f- quite often there was a worry. Uh, a big example: Oh, a Chinese company, you know, oil revenues from China, you borrow U.S. dollar bond. Even if you have the money, cash, you prepared, but it's the RMB. How can you move RMB from China, you know, to outside China to pay off the dollar bond? That from time to time mm-hmm. has been a concern for the market. It's not about exchange rate volatility, but about exchange control. Can you move money out, capital, to pay off your debt? So a lot of it is like kind of a structural. There's a, some structural barrier, which there's a risk premium that's put on on those kind of concerns. I, I would use the word structure concern. Okay. Not necessarily barrier. Okay, structural yeah. concern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting because I I think uh, you know in in the U.S. certainly the willingness to pay probably because you know the legal enforcement is much more straightforward, right? The the, the cost of you know you taking the company's assets and pay pay the bond owners is is probably easier in the U.S. versus in Asia because you you would think that you know if the company don't pay the bond owners got the first uh, you know yeah. dip yeah. It's, it may not be as straightforward in Asia as in the U.S. Mm-hmm. That is why there's a premium, because yes. it's not as straightforward. Yeah. yeah. So, Chad, it's been a very interesting conversation. Um, any other final points you thought as people look at the Asian bond market, the China bond market in particular? Any closing thoughts about prudence that you want to you relate? I think, you know, I spent uh, seven to eight years investing in the U.S. market, high yield, then I went back to Asia. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if you look at the bottom of you know, credit, of investing credit, uh, to me, it's, a, it's not the same. It's a get the price and the risk right. Uh, so at the end of the day, sometimes people spend, especially smart people, especially professional investors or professional capital allocators, because they've gone to work and they got a business school and they got too smart, they get boiled down to the technicalities, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, willingness to pay, capital structure, legal rights, uh, you know, ju- uh, subordination, uh, you know, technical features. But at the end of the day, if you have long enough uh, data, what you care about is your return. Mm-hmm. On a 10-year, 15, 20-year basis, you know, what's my credit loss? What's my actual return? Because at the end of the day, not day, yes, at, at end of every day, whether you buy a corporate bond, from Philadelphia, you get $100 back. Or you buy a corporate bond from Mongolia, you get a $100 back. This is the same $100 issued by U.S. government treasury. So the yield matters. The yield yeah. matters. Yes, the yield matters. Yes. The dollar the matters. matters. Right. It's yeah. like the process. Common sense right? matters. But sometimes yeah. people got too boy that, oh, that's in, you know, somewhere I've never been to. But at the end of the day, it pays you back in dollars. Yeah. Uh, this is what I pay for U.S. For working tuition as well. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's why you need somebody who has prudence in their investment manager policy. Chad yeah. Liu, thank you so much for joining us here in Wharton Studio. Thanks. Welcome back to Wharton. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been yeah. listening to Behind the Markets on SiriusXM 132. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. We'll be back after a short break. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 